We're going to continue with the story of the lepers that were healed, that came to Jesus. And uh, there were ten lepers. Uh, nine didn't come back. Only one came back to fall at the feet of Jesus and to say thank you. And Jesus says, where are the other ten that were cleansed? Uh, where are they? And um, so we, we're just going through a number of aspects of why people don't extend or give gratitude. And two weeks ago, we dealt with the get-around-to-it man, the one who just hasn't got the, the, the time and the effort, so he just says, oh, I'm going to not even bother with that, the self-consumed man uh, who's too busy, caught up in his own ideas, his own opinions and agendas, and the forgetful man. And then last week, and I want to just... Uh, quickly go through some of the stuff last week. We started off by looking at Psalm 100 and verse 4, that we uh, enter his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. And I, I, just the opposite of what we do for our children, we say, you say, please, and then you say, thank you. We first say to God, thank you, and then we say, please. If we thank God for all our many blessings before we ask for anything, we realize that it's all about His grace. And we actually don't deserve anything. It's His grace that comes through. And so we dealt with two aspects of ingratitude. The self-pitying man. And I, uh, this, this is a, a, a very hard one because it, it, it hardens your heart. And its effects are unmistakable. It causes you to shut down emotionally and spiritually, full of self-pity. You become consumed with your own feelings, your own hurts, your own offenses. Poor me. And the goal is to attract attention and to attract sympathy towards yourself. This is one of the aspects of the sin of pride. It is all about pride. Look at me, poor me. And it is such a subtle sin. It's disguised as righteous indignation. And we feel justified after any injustice has come our way and we've had to suffer for anything. It is a sin that deadens our hearts. It chokes our faith. It drains our hope. It kills our joy. It smothers love. It fuels anger and robs us from serving others. And it poisons your relationships. It is a seriously self-indulging sin. It's a self-centered emotion. And people who struggle with self-pity, they need to get to that place where they jettison, they boot this thing right out of their lives when it's recognized. And the way to do that is just to be filled with gratitude. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16 to 18. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. And this is the part. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. In everything. In everything. When the Bible says everything, it means everything. In everything give thanks. And then we went on and we spoke a little bit about the lazy man who is just too lazy to send a thank you note, a thank you message. I don't feel like it now. 
I don't have time now. It's not a priority now. You see, true gratitude involves the heart and it involves the lips or fingers on your phone to send a message. There always has to be heart and action involved. And thanks comes from the same root word as think. And so thankfulness and gratitude always has to have thoughtfulness attached to it as well. So we dealt with those two last week. So this week I want to deal with a familiar man. I, I, I've done it before. I've been around for a long time. The familiar man. And let me tell you, if there is one aspect of us growing to maturity in Christ, I'm familiar. I'm familiar with the spiritual things. I'm familiar with the stuff that happens in church. I'm familiar with it. And we get so accustomed to it that we actually have no enthusiasm. In Thuo, God inside of us is, is Theos, is God inside of us. We, there's nothing that's forthcoming. And Jesus tells us to have the heart of a child. And we need to have that same appreciation. I mean, last week when Daniel was leading worship and we were singing higher and higher, I turned around and I looked at some of you. And I mean, some of you were just standing there and some of you were like higher and higher. It was like you were picking uh, ripe cherries off a tall tree. And it looked exciting. It's something about having that excitement that keep that fire burning, that sense of appreciation. You see, familiarity breeds contempt. And so often we get accustomed to the blessings that God has given to us. There's a story in the Old Testament where the Israelites had left Egypt and they were going through the wilderness and God was giving them this thing called manna. They did a whole lot of things with it. They ate from it. It, was, it, was, it had all the nutrients it had all the vitamins that was needed for them to go for many years through the, the wilderness. And they got tired of this manna. And they started to complain. So let's look at that passage in Numbers 11 and verse 4. Now the mixed multitude who were among them yielded to intense craving. Okay, that's, that's pretty strong, intense craving. I just want to tell you, the intense craving is all about their taste buds. Their intense craving is all about what we're eating. Let me remind you, Israelites, you have just come out of 430 years of slavery. And they're thinking about their taste buds. I mean, are these people stupid or what? Now this. So the children of Israel also we are now they're weeping. Okay, they wept again and said, who will give us meat to eat? We remember the fish, which we ate freely in Egypt, and the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. And now our whole being is dried up. There is nothing at all except this manna before our eyes. I mean, this is God's provision. There's nothing but manna. <laughs> Just give me a melon or a leek or a piece of garlic. I mean, the exchange of a change of diet for slavery, I mean, that's probably all that these guys knew. Their parents, their grandparents, their forefathers, and four, 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 430 years of only known slavery. 
but they want to go back to slavery for a piece of fish, cucumbers, melons, leeks, garlic, and onion. And we get so familiar with God's blessing that our hearts don't respond with gratitude for the things that he's done. We become so satisfied with that. Diet for slavery. I'm glad that the Bible is what it is and it just says it so much to reveal how stupid people are. I mean, we can identify because we're also a bit stupid. When last did you come with a sense, hey, I thank you God for the blessings that you've given me. Thank you God for everything. And we turn into, you see, one of, one of the results, one of the symptoms of ingratitude, familiar ingratitude, is that we turn critical. This past week I had to deal with a, 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 a church um, and, and the pastor, who is a double-timer, had one of his members really blitz him. I mean, just absolutely. I mean, what she was saying was just absolutely, uh, you know. I mean, this poor guy, he's, he's, he's having a job. It's a demanding job. It's this time of the year where everybody is working hard and he's running a church and having counseling sessions and having meetings, and she just blitzed him. It was absolutely unnecessary. But that's when you grow accustomed to God's blessing, you turn into a critical and complaining person. My advice to him was just keep on growing, just keep on being kind. You see, if we become a beast in order to overcome a beast, all that reigns is beastliness. Romans chapter 12 says, Do not repay evil for evil, but be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. I mean, it's tough being in the ministry at times. They say that the qualities of a pastor, Stuart Briscoe says, the qualities of a pastor are to have a mind of a scholar, the heart of a child, and the hide of a rhinoceros. And he's about right. See, the cure for gratitude is to have a thankful heart. Always be filled with the wonder of God's grace and God's goodness. Never take his blessings for granted. Let's be like little children, constantly filled with the wonder of what life brings to us. A mature believer needs to do the same. Not just, okay, like a world traveler. I, I, I've, I've seen it all. I've viewed it all. I've visited it all. Emerson said that if the stars came out only one night a year, everybody would stay up all night watching the stars. But we've become so accustomed. When last did you go outside and look at the stars? I know that we live in a city and there's bright lights and we don't see too many stars. But when did you look up into the sky and say, thank you, God? Hmm. Familiarity breeds contempt. And that contempt turns to criticalness. And we need to stay away from that. It's a form of pride that we become accustomed to things. The familiar man. The next one is the negative man. The negative man. We have a tendency to go towards the negative. I, I think it's easier 
to get somebody uh, to go from darkness into the light of the Christian faith than it is to convert them from negativity to positivity. So any news, it's just negative. But we wake up and we fill our lives with negative stuff. How many of you were negative here this morning? There was research done by um, Briskin and Associates, and it, they asked the question to a whole bunch of people, what is the best thing that has happened to you in the last five years? You know, only 12 people, only 12% said nothing. 12% said nothing. I mean, really? Nothing happened, nothing good happened in the last five years to you? Negative thinking begins to cloud us. It blows everything out of proportion. And you, you don't see God's grace in our lives. And when everything is blown out of proportion, we lose perspective and we stop enjoying life. A negative thinker uh, expects nothing on a silver platter, but he does expect a little bit of tarnish every now and again. I mean, he never expects a little bit of fruit and a little bit of dainties. On, he just expects tarnish. I mean, don't do that. And we need to train our minds. You see, negativity distorts the truth as well. In Proverbs 12 and verse 25. Okay. Anxiety in the heart of man causes depression. But the good word, a good word makes it glad. Anxiety in the heart of man causes depression. But a good word makes it glad. Anxiety is the thing that comes to us and challenges us. I mean, Lee today was talking about the anxiety that comes. You know, anxiety is a fear. And there's an acronym for fear. And fear is false evidence appearing real. Somebody did research and said, don't let fear rule your hearts because 60% of our fears are totally unfounded. 20% are already behind us, so there's no difference. They're set in concrete. You can't do anything about them. 10% won't make a difference. That gets to 90%. The other 10%, of that 10%, 5% of that remaining 10% said you can't do anything about them. So we can't do anything about them. It's only 5% of all your fears that you can do something about. Stop wasting your time on fear and anxiety. Paul tells us in Philippians 4 and verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. He tells us, I want you to rejoice. But I, I, I want to I just say it right off the bat, I want you to rejoice again. And so this is a double command. is to fill our hearts with that joy, rejoice always, repeat it often. What is the outlook when you look at the situation? When you see something happening, when you see a person, what is your outlook towards that person? Is it positive or is it negative? David, King David in the Old Testament, was just so overwhelmed with emotion and the blessing of God that the ark was returning to Israel. 
So he took off his, his cloak, his garments, just had a loincloth around him, and began to dance as the ark was ushered in. And Michal, his wife, looked out of the window, the palace window, and she experienced contempt towards him. And her attitude was negative. Let's, let's look at that passage in 2 Samuel chapter 6 and verse 20. And then David returned to bless his household and Michal the daughter, now this is after the incident, and Michal the daughter of Saul came out to meet David and said, how glorious, how sarcastic this is, how glorious was the king of Israel today. Uncovering himself today in the eyes of the maids of his servants as one of, a, of the base fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. That negativity was expressed. Now listen to this. And she experienced barrenness for the rest of her life. Wasn't able to bear children. I, you know, our negativity has spiritual consequences. That's unfortunately just one. Negative. We speak life and death daily into our lives. You know, I've come to understand the law of blessing and cursing. We speak life or we can speak death. There's a Persian proverb that says, don't use your tongue to cut off your head. And I see that all the time. People are blah, 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 and they're just slicing their heads off. We speak death to ourselves. We speak death to others. We need to speak life to ourselves and life to others as well. Do you have the potential to speak life? Do you have the potential to speak life to the folk in church as well? Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and life in its abundance, and we need to be doing that. Proverbs 18 and verse 21 says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. You know, every time you say, you know, my, my, my husband or my wife, she's impossible. What are you doing by making that statement? You're speaking death into the situation. You're speaking death to yourself and you're speaking death into your relationship. People say, you know, I mean, this is one of the petty sins that we get away with. We speak negatively in the I don't have any faith for that. I don't believe that I'll have the money in time. I know that it'll just get worse. You see, they're polite, they're respect, respectable, but they're unacceptable to God. You know, with these Israelites, a few chapters later, they, they go to the promised land and, and they... Moses sends 12 spies into the promised land and he says, I want you to scout out the land. And they come back and they've got a differing report. Ten of them say, oh, no, giants, walled cities. We can't, we can't go in there. And two of them, Joshua and Caleb said, we can. We are able It's a fascinating, fascinating passage of Scripture because 
God actually pronounces judgment on them and says, how long will these wicked people complain about me? And he says to the guys who, sp who spoke negatively, okay, you're going to stay in the wilderness for 40 years, an entire generation. It'll only be Joshua and Caleb. I mean, they had to endure what these negative guys for 40 years, but they had the privilege of going into the promised land. Don't be like the man who was negative. Can we maybe just look at that passage in Numbers 14, verse 26 onwards. Numbers 14, eh? Did I give you our Numbers 14? Here we go. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, How long shall I bear with this evil congregation? Okay, now it's an evil congregation, just because they've spoken negatively. See how God views negativity. This evil congregation who complain against me. I have heard the complaints which the children of Israel make against me. Say to them, as I live, says the Lord, just as you have spoken in my hearing, so I do, I will do to you. The carcasses of you who have complained against me shall fall in this wilderness, all of you who were numbered according to the entire number from 20 years old and above, except for Caleb and Joshua, you shall by no means enter the land which I swore I would make you dwell in. Hey, 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 hey. When you look at a situation, how do you view it? I'm going to read something now. For my wife, who says it's hot dogs tonight. How do you view it? I'm glad. I'm thankful because she's at home with me and not with somebody else. For a teenager who's complaining about the dishes, I'm thankful because that means that she's at home and not in a nightclub. For the taxes that I have to pay. <laughs> my, <laughs> my daughter has just moved into HR and she says, you know, some of the salaries that she sees, Dad, this person is getting so much salary and you know how much, first thing, you know how much tax he has to pay? I mean, hello, over and above that, we have to pay 15% sales tax on everything. I mean, we're a very heavily taxed nation. But for the taxes that are, I am grateful because I am employed. For the mess after the party. Hey, Charlotte and Marion, that was a great party last Friday. But the mess. I felt sorry for you. But yeah, I'm thankful because it means that I am surrounded by friends. For the clothes that are a little bit too tight, snug on me. I'm so glad that I've lost weight. <laughs> because it means that I have enough to eat. For the shadow that watches me at work, because it means that I am out in the sunshine. For the lawn that needs mowing, 
<laughs> Windows that need cleaning, gutters that need fixing, because I have a home to live in. For the complaining about the government, oh boy, there's lots of that, because it means that I have freedom of speech. For the parking spot at the end of the parking lot, I'm thankful because I'm quite capable of walking and have been blessed with transportation. For the lady behind me that sings off key, I'm thankful because I can hear. For the pile of laundry and ironing, I'm thankful because I have clothes to wear. For the weariness and the aching muscles at the end of the day, I'm thankful because it means that I'm capable of working hard. For the alarm that goes off in the morning, because it means that I'm alive. <laughs> Be grateful, not negative. Be grateful. It's a fascinating story in the Old Testament. In 1 Kings chapter 9, Solomon has just finished building the temple. He needed lots of supply. He needed lots of wood. And King Harim from the north uh, gave him pine and cedar wood and sent him whatever measure of gold that he required for the temple and sent that down. And in response, Solomon gives back to him. And he gives him 20 towns north of Galilee. But when King Haram goes and looks at these towns, this is what he says. These towns, I mean, you can, you can translate what it means in English. These towns are Kabul. They're worth nothing. And he's just filled with a sense of ingratitude towards King Solomon for giving 20 towns to him. Such ingratitude. Shakespeare in one of his plays says, Blow, blow, thou winter wind. Thou art not so as unkind as man's ingratitude. I'd rather experience the freezing cold winter wind rather than man's ingratitude. Just want to finish off with a little bit of a testimony. Three years ago, we were in London, and we were having an afternoon nap. We had been out sightseeing, and we had an afternoon nap, and Medler, fortunately, was awake, and uh, I was packing quite a lot of weight. I think I was about 130 kilos, which is large, <laughs> large and podgy. And I was lying, and I stopped breathing. She got a fright of her life. She thought that I had a heart attack right there on the bed, and she slapped me. I mean, that was a good opportunity to get back all those years. <laughs> Whoa, on my chest. You know, and I woke up and I said, what are you doing? You know, so she said, you stop breathing. So that was the start of me discovering that I was suffering from sleep apnea. So for those of you who don't know what sleep apnea is, it is when you stop breathing during your sleep. So you... <laughs> So the whole night you're doing this, it's just exhausting. Your brain is constantly on guard. You are, so, I mean, there were times that I woke up and I'm thinking, 
I've slept for eight hours, you know, what's, this, what's going on here? You know, I feel like I've been in the jungles with gorillas and I've fought the silverbacks all night. And I, I, I just exhausted, exhausted, beyond exhausted. So we started that whole process of the, the CPAP machines and that didn't work and I had a special mouthpiece fitted and that helped and has helped a, a lot but slowly but surely I've got back into a regular lost all this weight just because weight I mean I, I went I went to the, a sleep clinic and all the guys that were there in the sleep clinic I, I walked in at 130 kilos I mean that's that's large I mean I looked around I'm a, I'm the skinniest person in this room you know uh, these guys are all large I mean and Sleep apnea is very dangerous because it affects your heart, it affects your brain, your tiredness, your blood pressure. It's just a whole lot of other uh, um, uh, issues that go with that. But slowly but surely. But during that process, man, I, you know, sleep can make you so much irritable. It just like, you just want to snap it. I mean, my poor wife had to endure such nonsense from me. But I mean... The one, the one day, one of the elders said something, and it was Andre. Uh, he said something, I mean, innocently, and I, you know, I was trying to say something, and it was before a prayer meeting, so the prayer meeting, I think, didn't go that well. But I snapped back at him, yeah. <coughs> and it, uh, I mean, he was just like <laughs> a deer in headlights. But he was gracious, and he didn't say anything. We spoke later, and I did apologize. But that was just snappy. But slowly but surely, I began to say, thank you, God. Thank you for leading me out of this situation. Thank you for your many blessings. Thank you for all that you've given. Thank you for this incredible church. Thank you for the wonderful leaders that surround me. Thank you for what you're doing in the worship and the people's lives. I mean, it just boggles my mind as people stand up and give testimony. And, you know, everyone is different. Everyone is just so different. This credible God who is just so creative and so mighty is just dealing with people in such a different way. Credible. And slowly but surely. And I read something. There was a, a John Templeton. So John Templeton, he was a philanthropist, and he, uh, uh, he, wrote, he wrote a book, and he said, before I wake up in the morning, before I get out of bed, I find five new things to say thank you to God for every morning. And I thought, that's, that's making an impression. When you wake up tomorrow morning, try five new things that you're grateful for. Rather than getting up, coffee, news, negative, bad, shootings in America, ANC government, bad. Say, thank you God. Five new things every morning. And you will see the difference. Gratitude is huge in our Christian lives. Huge. Let's pray together.